I forgot to log Green Knight, so now I'm going to search our conversation for the word cum shot. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. How you doing, boy? Here we are. Back to another, another, another time. Mm. Another instance of Beef Station. Uh, we're here today to talk about a film <laughs> of the week, which <laughs> we are going to talk about, which is... We're gathered here today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Green Knight. Green Knight. It's been a long time coming. We, 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 we t- took another bit, a bit of a hiatus. It's going to be... A, it's uh, not weekly. Mm. We'll say that much. How often does your podcast come out? Not weekly. Yeah. This is a not weekly <laughs> podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry your pretty little head about it. Every but, uh, week, yeah, uh, every week, you start off by saying it's not weekly. <laughs> well, you know, I just want, yeah, 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 that's, 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 <laughs> we define our podcast by what it isn't. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, All defined right. in absence. Uh, All right. <laughs> yes, this week we're doing A24's uh, like Green gr- Knight. Much like the titular character, we are victims of the passage of time. Great. Good segue. So, so, The Green Knight, 2021, directed by David Lowry, who I didn't know much about, but he was he had previously done that movie Ghost Story, where uh, Casey Affleck is underneath a bedsheet for the whole movie. Yeah. I actually pick you up there. It's actually a ghost story. A ghost story. It's one of many. So, yeah. Just a singular ghost Great. story. Okay, cool. Not the ghost story. Thanks, bro. Um, I didn't know much about this movie, but it's based on like a Knights of the Round Table King Arthur type story called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is a movie from like the fucking 14th century or some shit. A movie from the 14th century? Idiot. Idiot. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Fuck. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah. In in any case, it is, uh, it's based on high art and classic literature. So, you know, there we go. Yeah. Got, some, got some shit happening here. Smart uh, shit. We, we'll get it? to that later on the show. For the start, though, we, we got a bit of news to catch up on. A, f- a few things have happened uh, in, in the last few weeks. So, you know, may, may as well catch you all up on them. And by the time this comes out, there'll, there'll be old news again. And so, 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 so goes the, the circle of... The Sisyphean cycle of life. making a podcast. Yeah, here we go. Beef, beef bullet. Once again, we're on Skype, and it does sound like there's a lot of delay. Trust. Yeah, and I man has no faith in me. I am, I am co-piloting this plane with someone who does not trust me to fly. <laughs> All right, so well, what do we got? Uh, first, first story out of the gates here. Um, Greece actor Eddie Deason arrested after throwing plates at police in a restaurant. Uh, Eddie Deason nuts. Yeah, he plays. If you look up Greece Eugene, he's the character. He's the guy that played like this, like bit part nerd named Eugene. He's, in he's one of the uh, fifty-year-olds that they got to play a seventeen-year-old. Oh, my man looks rough, yeah, exactly. dude. This is not... Life's not yeah, going so well for him. Eddie... Uh, reading straight from Enemy here. Eddie Deason has been arrested for assault following an incident at a restaurant in Maryland in the US. Uh, police were called to the scene. It's claimed that Eddie had to be forcibly removed after hiding behind a woman in a booth and refusing multiple orders oh, to leave the premises. It was a hostage Deason display th- situation. 
<laughs> Deezer reportedly threw numerous items, including plates and food, at police, striking one of the deputies. The actor was eventually charged with second-degree assault, disorderly conduct, and trespassing. Fucking hell. Earlier this year, the actor was accused of harassing a Maryland waitress over Facebook, where he allegedly commented on her fake eyelashes. It's unclear if the two incidences are related. They sound pretty fucking related to me. Yeah. Yeah, sounds related. Oh, man. Damn. Deezen later accused the waitress, Kara, of spreading rumors about him in response, adding that he was being cyberbullied by her friends. Oh, my God. This is like, this man is not young. Like, this is very tragic. I mean, Copper, Copper, look at the photo. This is is an audio medium. But Copper, look at the photo I just sent to you in Messenger. And tell me that his mugshot. Yeah, that's shot, basically. Like, oh God. Tell me his mugshot so it's, doesn't it's look like he's doing the bit from um, Master of Disguise with the turtley. Am I turtley enough for the, the turtle? Turtle, turtle. <laughs> you know the turtle club scene was filmed on 9/11. Yes, yes. Well, another thing, <laughs> another strike against that film. The actual, like the actual 2001 9/11 day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was being filmed on yeah. 9/11. And they, they went back. They went back to filming after the news broke. Yeah. Well, what else are you gonna do? It's time is money. <laughs> Good shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, next bit of news. Uh, it's probably a bit of, a bit of old news. Probably all you all have seen it. But The Matrix Resurrections, the new trailer for The Matrix movie dropped in the last few weeks since we yeah. recorded an episode. Looks pretty sick. I know that The Matrix movies haven't been properly good since the first one. But I'll watch this again. Uh, Keanu Reeves is back at his... Uh, I'm going to rewatch. So I rewatched the original full Matrix. John Wick glory. Yeah, I rewatched the original Matrix recently. I reckon... This is my hot yeah. take, completely uninformed, because oh, I haven't watched them in a, a oh, really yeah. long time. I reckon the second right. and third one are good. I reckon they're good. I need to rewatch uh, them to, to I, make I actually judgments. don't remember them because I haven't watched them since high school. Yeah, I reckon they're good. I don't think it's a case I of like... I think they're good action. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it's a case of people being like... Um, too too stupid and small brained and smooth brained to understand, but I think it's like it get uh, they cop a lot of shit, and I reckon they're not that bad. I my memory of why people didn't like it as much is that the first one was very focused and very nuanced and had a very clear point, and that by comparison, the the other ones seemed like a bit scattered. Yeah, it just spirals way out of control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and I mean, I, I can I can sort of sort of feel that, but you know. The other, um, the other thing of note is that um, the uh, this is written by and directed by Lana Wachowski, so not both of the Wachowski sisters. Uh, it's a solo direction, which is weird. Time. Like, I'd, I'd be keen to know like wh- how the filmmaking process differs with one Wachowski versus two Wachowski. Yeah, like, that's right. I don't really know what their different skill sets are. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like. I don't. Th- I don't think they've ever made movies separately. Yeah, so I'd, I'd be curious to see how this goes. Like whether whether it's going to be like a uh, take a shot, like a John and Paul type situation, where like they need each other to complement complement the different aspects of their creativity or whatever. I think that's often common in like creative partnerships. Yeah, like I'm pretty so interested by it. Curious to see how this goes. But I wonder, you know, like we listened to um, the cinematographer from the trilogy talking about how like the last two films were really difficult because um, of the directing approach that was taken by the sisters. And um, I wonder if... Yeah, like, it was that uh, like Kubrick thing where they took like a they, they did, did like, like a thousand takes. takes of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I wonder if, you know, maybe 
I, I, I'm not suggesting that she was, but maybe if Lily was like driving a lot of that, maybe Lana's solo efforts will be like more tight or whatever. Or maybe uh, I don't know, hey. Lana like couldn't leave well enough alone and Lily's like, I'm not fucking doing another Matrix movie with you because you were a nightmare last <laughs> time. So who knows? <laughs> another interesting little point about it is um, it's co-written by two uh, with Lana and two other people as well, David Mitchell and Alexa Heeman. I don't know much about Alexa Heeman, but is that David Mitchell, the British comedian? No, it's not. But <laughs> it is uh, It is David Mitchell, I believe, who wrote the novel uh, Cloud Atlas and then has a writing credit yeah, on the right. film as well. So, um, yeah, I'm interested because uh, having a um, having a novelist adapt your... or, like, involved in the adaptation to a film, I think often raises the quality of the film. But obviously, The Matrix yeah, Resurrections yeah, yeah. is not based on a fucking book. So, I just think that's an interesting writing credit um, that they've got kind of attached there as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, I, sp- I suppose it could be as simple as like, I don't know, ultimately, this person's only done like four movies or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, maybe it's like, this is someone on a, a movie they did recently that they really enjoyed working with and were like, well, I don't fucking know who else to get. I, I enjoyed working with you. Do you want to come help me out on this? Yeah, kind of maybe. I mean, that would obviously what it would have to be. Like, but like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, next bit of news here. Knives Out 2 has already wrapped filming. Okay. There you go. Which feels very fucking quick to me. Like, we were only just hearing about, like, casting and shit, like, a few months ago, and now they're already done. Which is wild. Well, maybe they're already producing by the time they got into... Like, you know, we, we might always so, get the yeah. news later, so... But filming periods are yeah. often, like, shorter than I think people think. You don't often get, like, a six-month filming period you know because they it's fucking expensive so they just want to get it done like some feature films have two weeks of principal film filming so you know i mean yeah. that's pretty well, that's I very short on, but yeah someone commented on reddit about how quick this was and someone mm. said something very similar to what you were just saying yeah uh they said like oh the, the first one wrapped in like two months right as right. well so not happy uh, with being yeah. uh told that i said the same shit as a redditor but yeah okay cool yeah, you're a redditor. No, I'm a redditor. No, that, fuck. Uh, no, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm really keen for this. I really like the first one. The second one uh, has Daniel Craig back as the detective, uh, including w- with other actors in it, including Dave Bautista, Catherine Hahn, Edward Norton, Janelle Monae, uh, someone from Hamilton who I'm not familiar with named Leslie Odom Jr. Okay. and Kate Hudson. All right. Good cast. Yeah. I swear there was a whole bunch of other names that were out there, but no, I'm looking forward to it. And they're, they're, he's doing a third one as well. I think we covered it a little, covered Oof. it. We talked about it a little while ago that Netflix paid like half a billion dollars or something for a second and third movie. Yeah, God. Uh, yeah, literally $469 million. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Reserve judgment. Yeah. First one was see a surprise. Um, Don't know if he can capture lightning yeah. in a bottle twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've probably got one one or two more headlines, and that's probably going to be it. All right, how's this? How do you like this headline? <laughs> I'm going to pitch a movie to you, all right? Okay. You ready? Yes, I've got my eyes closed. Yep. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Danny DeVito. Yep. Tracy Morgan. Now, hold up. Triplets. Just from those... Fa- <laughs> Uh, okay. They're making a sequel to the Ivan Reitman Buddy Cop 1988 movie Twins, where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito were twins. They're making a sequel. I don't know what it's called, Twins 2 or Triplets or whatever the fuck, 
but they're trying to get it off the ground. Tracy Morgan is going to play their long-lost black brother, who is the triplet in the trio. God, is this going to be some sort of, like, white chicks arrangement or, like, a, you know, black-white kind of thing? I don't. I, I worry deeply about this film. <laughs> oh yeah, Ar- 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 Arnie and Danny are all gonna are both gonna black up. Yeah, so that well, it, are they, so that are they literally sense. like birth triplets? Because yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Ivan Reitman, the director, uh, I think it's the guy from Ghostbusters as well, yeah. and he did the first one. Uh, he said, describing the synopsis straight from uh, the enemy, describing the synopsis of this new film, Ivan Reitman said, "Quote: Secretly, there was a third black baby born." who hasn't been in touch with his siblings. They don't know each other, and very early in the movie they meet, and it's all about how they achieve a bond together after all these years. It's really a film about family, and no matter how different we all are, we have to learn to get along. These guys have great chemistry together, and you can see that in the reel and how much energy they bring out in each other. I'm cringing. Fuck yeah. I'm I'm so worried about this. (laughs) (laughs) Also, okay, I know this is from celebritynetworth.com, but... Uh, it says, Uh-oh. as of 2020, Arnold Schwarzenegger has a net worth of $400 million. Why is he doing this? He's doing it for the love of it. Like, that's yeah. so disturbing. Yeah. I think he said a little while ago he likes being in movies. He just wants to keep being in movies. He likes being in movies, but I yeah. feel like he could, like, self-fund nearly any film that he wants, right? Or, like, getting him attached. The yeah, studio yeah, yeah. probably knows it's going to make money. Twins. Or yeah. Twins 2. Triplets. Fuck. I, okay. Twins... Twins, the original Twins movie must have been one of those movies that really was like a one sentence pitch. Like, it, yeah, DeVito totally. Schwarzenegger Twins. And they're like, yeah, that's it. That green yeah, light, go true. for it. Yeah, a three word pitch is check, pretty make that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Add two more words and you get yourself another movie, bitch. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. Last bit of news. Um, Christopher Nolan's new movie is happening and we know a little bit more about it. Okay. So, uh, I've got three three articles here that I'm going to sort of pull together. You tell me it's an uh, event movie. As a showcase again. of my... J- <laughs> it's an event movie? No, it's going to be a World War II drama with Killian Murphy, all about Robert J. Oppenheimer. Okay. Who is the scientist that invented the atomic bomb. Okay, so there's your, there's your quantum physics time shit. Right there. Yeah, I think it'll be sick, bro. I mean, it, it's quite close to Dunkirk, yeah. I suppose. And I haven't really... He hasn't really been... I mean, other than the Batman movies, he hasn't really sort of done the same thing twice all that much. I mean, I suppose all these movies are thematically quite similar. Mm. But in terms of, like, the actual... Uh, I don't know. He hasn't done two movies that are in the same kind of setting like that. Yeah. Outside of the Batman yeah, movies. Yeah, true. Because there's been, like a, like, a, like, a Victorian Edwardian kind of magician's one and, like, a sci-fi space one and, like, a... Yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know. See, so here we go. He should I've do a fantasy one. Uh, sorry? He should do a fantasy one. Yeah, I suppose. I'd like to see... Yeah, a, I mean, it's interesting that he... I'd like to see, like, a time yeah, fuckery, I, I suppose, like, witch magic kind of yeah. thing. That'd be interesting. I suppose when you mention, like, the fact that, that he hasn't done fantasy, I suppose... Maybe all these movies are kind of similar. Yeah. Uh, in terms of their, definitely in terms of time, but maybe I, sp- I suppose they are closer, closer to having a similar setting than I had originally thought. Uh, but I mean, I suppose Tenet and Tenet and Inception are quite similar. Uh, uh, in any yeah, case, true. there's there's a couple there's a couple of headlines that go together here. So uh, he has I don't know about famously, but it's well known that. Uh, 
Again, I was like, maybe not famous, but definitely well known. Uh, he, he's made all of his movies since he started with Warner Brothers. Mm. Uh, and a few months ago, he sort of went off on Warner Brothers after they announced oh, yeah, they were right. going to be debuting all of their movies on streaming streaming uh, streaming platforms. Yeah. Uh, the, the quote that we read out a few months ago was uh, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and the most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were now working for the worst streaming service. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, since making those comments, they've decided to go their separate ways and he's now going to be making films with Universal. Okay. He signed some sort of picture contract to sign with Universal, which I, I normally wouldn't give a fuck about. But the article here talks about his demands mm. for like the, or part of his contract in signing for signing to make movies for Universal instead. Wow, this sounds like uh, this shouldn't be public knowledge. Uh, not to know. Yeah, it says revealed by sources as reported by the Hollywood Reporter. Christopher Nolan has asked for total creative control, twenty percent of first dollar gross. Okay. Which sounds like a shitload. If he makes twenty percent of the gross of a Christopher Nolan movie, I want what's first like, even dollar gross. I don't know, but like m- maybe Keep maybe going, that's I'm like Googling the first it. two weeks of theatrical. Yeah, thing. It could yeah, be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he's making twenty percent of first dollar gross, and he wants a blackout period from the studio where the comp where Universal cannot release another movie three weeks before or three weeks after his movie. Oh wow, that's fucking interesting. There you go. That's baller. But like, I also don't really like like other studios are still going to release shit. So what is he just? Does he just? Is he just hoping that that means that Universal has to like pump all their marketing into his movie because they have six weeks of like. His yeah, movie is maybe. the only movie that they have released. Maybe. Uh, notably, the filmmaker has also demanded a 100-day theatrical window, according to sources. Right. It's believed that Universal was the only studio able to meet all of these demands, beating off strong competition from Apple Studios and Paramount. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, so Wikipedia says, uh, First dollar gross is a practice in filmmaking where the participant receives a percentage of the gross o- box office revenue starting from a film's first day of release. The participant begins sharing in the profits from the first ticket sale, not waiting until the film studio right. turns a profit. Right. So you're not waiting until the studio profits. You just get part of... You just get oh, that 20% that's immediately. that's that dodgy... That's that dodgy Hollywood bookmaking shit yeah. where you hear about people not getting paid properly because they say like, oh, on paper, we spent $50 million on catering, so the film wasn't profitable. That's Sorry. Right. Yeah, so you don't get paid. Yeah. Right. So That's first dollar grosses, I don't care how much money you make, out of the money that comes in, I'm getting 20% of it no matter what. Kind. Yeah. So like, for example, notable examples here, like Sandra Bullock made more from her 15% first dollar gross deal on Gravity than from her upfront pay of $20 million. <laughs> God damn. Yeah, right. Fuck. In his yeah, heyday, he Arnold Schwarzenegger received 25% first dollar gross. So, like... and I, I Right. Well, I think I think famously Robert... Uh, not Robert. Uh, what's the what's the Iron Man guy? Uh, Robert Downey Jr. It was Robert. Right. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. He made a shitload of money on Iron Man and the Marvel movies because he had a similar deal where he got a certain percentage of any movies that Iron Man appeared in, I think. Yeah, wow. There you go. Yeah. Uh, right. We'll, we'll wrap up the news for a bit there. We've sure. got a bumper segment of news. Yeah. I got a tiny little bit of beef to stop pleasure. I don't think you do. I have not. But I got, I got a little bit I wanted to talk about. So let's get into it. All right. Cool. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. 
Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Beefness or pleasure, of course, the segment where every week we dedicate a significant portion of the show to the official movie of the program. But, as well, we like to kick back and relax. We, we like to do stuff that we want to watch. We want to watch stuff just, just, just for the fun of it, you just for the me. sheer joy of cinema. This week, I'm not talking about cinema. I'm talking about the TV. Ooh. Uh, I watched... Uh, the other silver screen. I, I watched a... a <laughs> the other, other silver screen. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> I watched... Um, I watched White Lotus, on, which is streaming on Binge. It's like a Foxtel HBO type show. Yep. Uh, it's created by Mike White who is most famously Ned Schneebly from School of Rock. Motherfucker uh, named his <laughs> TV show after himself, dude. <laughs> he was like, I want to make a show called The Mike Lotus. I think it just needs a tweaking. You got any backup options? Yeah. The Mike I White have Lotus. one other backup option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So yeah, uh, the Mike Lotus. It's a six-part series. It's it's not much of an investment. I would first of all, I loved it, and I'd recommend that everyone goes in on it. Uh, it's like each episode is about an hour long, and there's six episodes. Mini series. So it's not much of an investment. It's like a mini series, and then it's done. Is it HBO? It's set, Did uh, you say it is HBO? Okay, yeah. so this it's is set, following like in the com- footsteps of like Chernobyl HBO miniseries type shit. Cool. I really I suppose, hope. I, I suppose so. I really hope they make more of those. I think it's a fantastic way to do it. It's cool, I suppose, like, not having to worry about, like, how are we going to keep this going forever? You have a short little story and then you're done. That's it. Um, yep. Apparently, it's now been renewed as, like, an anthology series. So, Ugh. they're going to do another series, but it's completely... But, it, no, but it's, like, completely separate. Yeah, sure, and it's yeah. about something completely different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's like a dark comedy drama type show uh, set on this Hawaiian like holiday resort type place where it's really expensive and fancy and it's just full of all these rich fucks and all the characters are kind of awful rich people who are awful in their own way some of them are like uh, like really like sycophantic uh, some of them are really full of themselves and quite arrogant and like demand like to be weighted on hand and foot um, Jennifer Coolidge uh, is in it I've heard uh, she's an absolute she, she's champ brilliant. in it yeah she's great and her character is like this like this person who like she thinks Oh, she, she's so rich that she, she doesn't realize that everyone's just being nice to her and is just being a friend because they're being paid to. Damn. And she's to like really taking advantage of these like staff staff that work at the holiday that are trying to be her friend and everything. Anyway, the, sh- the show is great. It's basically, it, it, it starts with you finding out that at the White Lotus, someone died. And then it immediately goes like one week earlier. And then it shows you them, like a whole group of people arriving to the island. Love a good and one so, week earlier. Yeah, the show is first of all the show is the, the first few episodes are hilarious. Like some of the funniest comedy I've seen on TV recently. Uh, I I don't normally this is a sh- I don't normally like like American comedy, but this is funny in a way that I don't normally get American comedies being very funny. Okay. In series. Like um I often find that like American style humor for the most part is like wacky 
wouldn't it be crazy if someone said this yeah. type stuff, you know? Whereas, and you don't get much like self-deprecating type humor, but whereas the characters in this are all awful. And so you get like a, like an, a lovely, lovely, you got a really, a really funny, like self-deprecating kind of t- weird, dark tone that you don't often get from a lot of American style comedies that I really enjoy. It's funny, but it quite quickly gets darker and more twisted uh, and uh, more dramatic as the series goes on. Whereas to the point where like by the end, it's a lot more like screwball and insanely chaotic and dramatic. It's not as funny, but it's still like the, the tone shift is really fun. Right. Um, huh. There's an Australian dude in it called named Murray Bartlett, who I'd never seen before, but he plays like the, the hotel general manager concierge type dude who is like, looks like he's like one week away from retirement and is just like absolutely fucking sick to death. Of these rich people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Snaps like halfway through the series. It's fun. I'd re- I'd recommend watching it. I feel like I haven't really described it very well, but it's um it's it's good fun, and I really enjoyed watching it. And I'm glad I went in on it. So it's got yeah, it's like a little bit of a murder mystery type deal, but about these awful rich people. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you don't know you don't know. Uh, yeah, you're trying to work at like how this person how this person's gonna die and like what's gonna happen and all, all this shit. Mm. There's like a there's like a married couple that are that are awful and a family where the the family where the mum the mum basically like runs Google and the dad feels insecure that his wife makes more money than him, right? <laughs> and he he finds out like this is like a mild spoiler, but he finds out like in the second episode that his dad was secretly gay. And spends right. like the whole rest of the the whole rest of the show because he's a really macho man's man type sports dude, and he spends the whole rest of the show like coming to terms with the fact that his dad was gay. And that's so crazy. I, I was being like skimming. weirdly open and yeah, sexual for the rest of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I was skimming um, Mike White's Wikipedia page, and uh, under his, his personal life section is very brief, but um, it's it just notes that his father came out as gay in 1994. <laughs> So he's like, well, damn, I don't know how much go. personal experience is going into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He like watched his well, dad. Th- that's absolutely fucking for like ten that, years. That, that, I'm well, sick that, of this shit. This character storyline. This character storyline is one of my favorites because yeah, he start he starts off being like wanting to his his son's this gamer and he's like, oh come on son, you got to come out like throw the football with me and we'll go do scuba diving and shit. My dad never did this like sports stuff with me and. I've always wanted him to. So I'm going to do it with you and it's going to be great. And then he finds out his dad was gay and he like questions everything he's ever thought to be true. And he ends up like seeing like, the problem was my dad was never open to his sexuality. Let me tell you what it's like fucking your mom. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got to go. I've heard some good stuff on it. Yeah. It's good shit. It's good. It's good fun. It's worth watching. Uh, yeah. That's probably, that's probably all I got. Should we, should we get into. Let's yeah, get into know. the, probably the all main feature. All right. This is almost everything you need to know about the Green Knight. Or as the 14th century epic poem is more formally known, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And I'm your guide, Ralph Einstein. The Green Knight is a far-reaching, culturally resonant, mythic morality tale. J.R.R. Tolkien was one of the most important scholars to embrace and translate the story of the Green Knight. He considered the poem a window of many colored glass looking back into the Middle Ages. (laughs) This is how many original copies of the Green Knight have ever been found. One. And this is who wrote it. We have no idea. This is the original manuscript of the Green Knight. 
1731, and later fire almost destroyed the Green Knight forever. But miraculously, it survived. Now, let's get into what this story is really about. Uh, the Green Knight, as we mentioned before, is a 2021 drama based on a 14th century story. It's like a medieval fantasy type thing. It's directed by David Lowry, mm-hmm. who is an American. <laughs> his Wikipedia photo <laughs> is, is fucking insane. Have you seen his... American. Yeah. Yep. Have you seen David Lowry's Wikipedia yeah, photo? Yeah. It's, uh, it's nuts. It looks like a cue ball with the biggest mustache you've ever He's, seen. He's uh, straight uh, out of Peaky Blinders. In that one? Yeah. yeah. All right. So, starring Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris, amongst others. Uh, what do you, th- you think, bro? Go off. Uh, look, I quite liked this. Um, I had really high expectations of it going in. So, I had watched Ghost Story. And that is a beautiful that's little... It's actually a ghost story. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Finn owned. <laughs> um, God damn it. Fuck. Ugh. I idiot. set a trap idiot, for myself idiot, and idiot. fell right into it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, A Ghost Story is uh, a beautiful little film. Um, it's <laughs> like a really, um, really strong concept that sort of outperforms itself in a bunch of different ways. Um, it's very beautiful visually. And uh, I'm just checking if this cinematographer was the same. I don't believe that... He was. I believe they were directed by different people. Sorry, uh, right. filmed by different people. Anyway, whatever. Um, but like, it's very. <laughs> this is the movie we fucking watch. Bro. The main character is um, is yes a ghost, and so they uh, have <laughs> no dialogue. So a lot of this movie is a lot of um, ghost story has like really minimal storytelling it's very focused on visuals and like really swimming it's there's a few really extended takes i talked about it on the podcast i think there's a few really long takes yeah i remember when you watched it six or seven minute takes in a film that's like got a 77 minute runtime or something like that it's very very it's it's not 77 minutes but it's quite short and so i was really surprised at how much it was able to like swim in these moments so i enjoyed i enjoyed a ghost story a lot and uh, so so I, that's what inspired you or hyped you up to watch this? Exactly. So I, I was already going right. in like quite a big fan of um, David Lowry. And then the trailer came out and it was a really... I, I really liked the way that the trailer did. I'm assuming that we will have just spliced in the trailer music. Um, yeah. But it, it was a very of, cool trailer. Yeah. In terms of like getting me hyped for like a weird arty A24 type film. It, it, did, a, it did a good job. It, it was very... The visual aesthetic of this film, I think, was the main thing that hooked everyone in. Yeah. And it's got Ralph Innocent, who most people would know from his character in Game of Thrones as uh, Dagmar Clefjaw. But he's like... He was a reasonably recurring character in Game of Thrones. But he also did the right. father in The Witch which in terms of his A24 um, credentials was... Um, Did he play the Green Knight then? He played the Green Knight and also uh, right. he was in um, Chernobyl. So, Right, oh, there you go. Yeah, but he does the trailer. He's got this fucking great voice and it's him talking about the context of the original manuscripts, the original story, The Green Knight, which I really like because as you, as I've talked about to no end on this podcast... I, I think the trailers <laughs> should not be allowed to contain any of the material from the film. I think trailers should be like a, a kind of a taster without giving you anything about the actual film itself, right? 
Um, and this I is kind that. of this kind of straddles that line where it's using some visuals from the film, but it's mostly using them to introduce characters from the original story. Um, yeah. Basically, just showing I, you the I, cast. I think the trailers. Yeah, I think the trailer should be nothing from like after the first act. It should be first act shit yeah, only. Yeah, that you want to I totally agree with. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, so I, I was pretty hyped for <laughs> it. Um, I quite enjoyed it. It was not. Um, I, I don't know if you could really predict what it was like going in because David Lowry just has this. I don't know. I think he speaks a very unique cinematic language. Watching a David Lowry film feels very distinctive. I think. Um, yeah, and uh, he. Um, I really, something that I really enjoyed about it, which is something that, um, was prominent in Ghost Story as well, is how he, um, how he explores the concepts of time and also of legacy, I would say, as a theme, right? Yeah, I thought about that as well. Yeah, and, and I think it's, um, I really enjoyed watching how differently, um, he could approach those two things, and in the in the scaffold of this historical text, I thought was really interesting. I didn't know anything about the original Green Knight manuscript, and to be honest, I kind of don't really. Me neither. Still. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's kind of this... Um, so, it's not a very easy film to describe, but basically, I guess, Dev Patel plays the um, main character, Gawain, and he ends up going to... Um, he has been called by the king to come and attend this dinner. And he goes, and I'm skipping over a lot here. This is kind of the first act, the setup. Good. Right? Yep. Um, he goes to this dinner, and um, the king's like, tell me a story. And Dev Patel's like, I don't have any stories. <laughs> we may not know who wrote Sir Gawain in The Green Knight, but we know much of its hero. Sir Gawain, a bold man, but an unproven hero. In Camelot, Sir Gawain was a knight at the round table. The iconic place for Arthurian knights represents the chivalric order. Gawain's story has influenced countless interpretations and characters across pop culture and beyond. Tis but a scratch. <laughs> Sir Gawain is a knight without any heroic tales to tell. I have none to tell. Yet. Yet. In this world, one's worth was defined by one's honor. And this quest is Gawain's chance to prove himself. And if death awaits me, is it wrong to want greatness for you? Like, nothing nothing ever happens to me. I yeah. haven't had anything eventful happen in my life. Yeah, it actually reminded me a fuckload of um, the way that it sets up Timothy Chalamet's character in The King that movie that we watched by David Michaud relatively recently. Yeah. He's kind of, it seems a little bit like that same layabout rapscallion kind of um, young royalty. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. I totally, wonder, yeah. to the point where I wonder if the David Michaud film took a little bit from these types of, of films, but I think that's more influenced by Shakespeare. Anyway, whatever. So it's he goes to this dinner and he's like, I don't have any stories. And it's very clear that he doesn't have any experiences. And the king's like, that's fine. Um, you know, all in good time, basically. And then the whole goes dark, and all of a sudden, this magic weird green knight dude bursts in. Yeah, and um, challenges someone, anyone who's willing, to a game. Let whichever of your knights is boldest of blood and wildest of hearts step forth, take up arms, and try with honor to land a blow against me. Where basically he says. 
I'm going to play a game with you. You have to beat me in a sword fight, but whatever you do to me in one year... Yeah, or he says, like, you got to inflict a blow on me or whatever. Right. And he just, like, kneels down and is like, fucking hit me, bro. Yeah, exactly. And so Dev Patel volunteers and says, I'll do it, because he clearly wants this, like, he wants to impress the king. Yeah. Yeah. And he walks so he walks up and, like, slices the dude's head straight off. Right. Green Knight picks his head up off the ground and says, see when a year cunt. He must seek me out yonder to the Green Chapel. Thy champ must bind himself to this. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the first first act. Um, and yeah. so I really liked uh, the yeah the setup and the cast, and I thought it was a really interesting, um, just kind of Arthurian um, epic um, that was also yeah. like very very much a grounded character study in a way. Yeah, so, so I suppose you were talking before about the idea that it talk it looks at time and legacy. So I, I suppose like some of the some of the things I got out of the movie is it's like a I don't want to use the word like a meditation, but it's like a meditation on like uh, if if you know you're gonna die in a year, like he knows that in a year's time he has to go and meet this Green Knight, and the Green Knight's gonna cut his fucking head off. So he's like, if I know I'm gonna die in a year, is life worth living? Is there any point? Uh, we're all we're all marching towards our death anyway. Mm. So, is there any is 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 there any point to not doing this? Like, why not like live your life to the fullest and have this like crazy whacked out experience? Uh, why not impress the king and try and like be this amazing knight dude? Who cares if it's gonna? It, does it even matter if you if you only have a year to live? I'm not I'm not describing this very well, but like my point is like it's a lot about like what is the point to life if we're all gonna die anyway? And if everything decays and dies and everything is forgotten and everything withers away, like what 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 is the point to living life? A green knight. Scholars believe his character and green color represent the respect for nature, the unknown, and death. I will meet him. Yeah, that's interesting. I I took quite like, a different thematic um, takeaway from it, but I think that's an interesting angle. Yeah. Well, I suppose he's worried about legacy, and he's worried about how he's going to be remembered and what his impact is going to be on the world and the people around him. Yeah. And so I suppose in terms of that, it's like well, his his body and his material form is going to decay and wither away and die. Mm. The green is the color of earth, of living things, of life. And of rot. Yes. So he's worried about, like, glory and preserving his name and his reputation or whatever. Yeah. So that he can live on after he dies. Mm. But at Uh, the same time, he's quite a flawed character in a lot of ways. And he spends the first like large part of that year just fucking around and in a fair bit of denial yeah. about um what's happened and understandably because as an audience member you don't really know like whether or not it's going to actually happen this it's not very um it's not very explicit about you know the way that they don't the way explain that it's going to happen no. or yeah it's very um very metaphorical, as I think a lot of those Arthurian kind of texts are. Yeah. So, yeah. What did you think of... I, okay, so you, I take it, weren't quite as... You didn't enjoy this one quite as much. No, I, I mean, I, I think that visually I enjoyed it quite a lot. And I think we can talk about the visuals for a bit. But like, yeah. I, I think the, the thing I got the most out of it was its visual aesthetic. Right. I think that... Uh, 
other than that, like for, for a start, it didn't, you don't get much of a setup and you don't really get to know Dev Patel very much. So it's easy looking back on it to be like, oh, he's this little kid and he doesn't have anything to live for and he doesn't have any promise of legacy or any promise of like a huge uh, glory filled life. Right. So uh, he doesn't really feel like he's going to amount to very much. He doesn't really tell you very much of that in the beginning. He sort of says once like, I don't have anything that's ever happened to me. Yep. And so from the audience's perspective, this kid's like, I wish something cool happened to me. And the first thing you see happen to him is something cool. And he goes, oh, I'll do that. And so like, I, I, I didn't find it very compelling. Mm. I think like I didn't, I didn't really feel like I, I felt Dev Patel's character's yearning for adventure. Right. If, if you will. And so it sort of felt like, the first thing that came along and the first time I meet this character, he sort of seizes and goes, oh, right. Oh yeah, I'll fucking do that. I suppose. Right. And so the whole, the whole rest of the movie is him on this quest to go out and fight the green Knight again. And I just sort of felt like, uh, yeah, it didn't really feel very compelling. I sort of felt like it was supposed to be him like living with the consequence of his actions or whatever, but I didn't really care enough about him as a character to really give a fuck so his you felt like his character motivations weren't there yeah well like they i mean they they were because you can look back and say well the character wants to be a knight and he wants to like have glory or whatever but i don't think it's not it's not set up as as clearly from the beginning of the movie to like hook you in didn't make you care about that i think but i don't yeah i only really felt hooked in sort of by the time it got to the end of the movie but i'd sat through like an hour of like well, what what the fuck is this dude like? He's right, just fucking around. Right. Like, this is this is just annoying. And I sort of didn't really, I was, didn't really feel very invested in him as a character. Yeah, and there's a couple of things that happen. I don't know. Is that like, fair? Did you get much out of that? Um, I don't think that. Aff- I, I think that's perfectly fair. I don't think it affected my enjoyment quite as much as. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I was happy to just sort of sit back and watch him go through these experiences. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't think it's... I, I think it's a very simple motivation. Um, and I found that that was enough to keep me interested and invested in his success. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah. It I, I feel like you're right. The character's a bit of a fuck up and he's a bit of an idiot and he makes several mistakes throughout the story. Yeah. But I just feel like he didn't... He didn't. I, I was, the, the film didn't really feel like it was trying very hard to endear you to him. Yeah, really that's like, kind of fair. Yeah. Not that I need a character to be likable, but I suppose like I, I didn't really find myself very invested in in this character's motivations very much. I think which that- I feel like is a very lame criticism. But like I'll, I'll compare it to sorry, mm. yeah, no, I'll compare it to another film that we did recently that is a very slow, arty, meditative kind of meditative kind of film on time and loneliness and how people are remembered, and that's First Cow. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think that f- I think the first cow thematically is very similar in that it starts it starts with this statement that so many people in history left led these full emotionally fulfilling lives that are now forgotten and they don't have any legacy and it asks this question of like uh is their experience like a valid and fulfilling one and is there any is there any point to living a life that's forgotten that doesn't have a legacy kind of thing right uh so it asks a similar kind of question about the film is, but I think that that film does a much better job of endearing yourself to those characters and getting you really invested in those characters' journeys, and still being able to have this nice slow, uh, 
arty kind of tone. So it's not that like I didn't like this film because it was like a slow, boring film. Because I feel like First Cow is, has a very similar kind of pace. Mm. But I think that the way that the characters were developed in that uh, really helped to get me invested in the film that was otherwise quite slow. Right, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it's easier when you've got those, like the relationship between the two people of Cookie and... I can't remember the other guy's name. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. Doesn't matter. It does not matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Um, but I'm going to fucking look it up anyway. King Lou. No, you don't get to say Cookie it. Cookie and King no, Lou. No, you don't get to say it. We're, we're editing that out. You said you know you agreed with <laughs> no, me. Give me a through line so I can edit it. Um, uh, you, now you're going to keep bringing oh, it up for the rest of the episode that guy's so I can't name. get away from it. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, I guess when you've got the relationship between those two guys, it's easier to make you invested in not just each of them individually, but also their relationship as a pairing. Whereas this was very much yeah, a solo like, Odyssey adventure for Dev Patel. Yeah, Mattel. but even before you meet King Lou in in First Cow, you get a lot of time with Cookie, yeah. and he doesn't really say very much, but he still the film still endears you to him and still like gets you invested in him as a character. And I just didn't feel that in The Green Knight as mm. much. And I re- so I really enjoyed the visuals, but I, I feel like. It took it took too like the I was endeared to Dev Patel by sort of halfway through the journey. Was there a particular but thing I spent the f- that made you endeared what do you mean? to him? Like, was there a particular? No, action? I just think I feel like as as I watched him experience life and I learned more about him yeah, as a character. It just happened over time. I slowly, I, I yeah, over time, I slowly began to like him and be invested in him as a character. Right. But it, it meant that for the first half, first hour of the movie, when I was like, "This is fucking dumb. Why did he go into that fight anyway? Like, what, 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 what was compelling him to even go on this quest anyway? When he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Like, yeah. I sort of got halfway through the movie and was like, "All right, I'm in now." But if I had been that in from the beginning of the movie, I would have enjoyed watching him go on his like dumb long quest. Yeah, I think for longer, um, if you know what I mean. I think for me, I think it, it did like one more scene at the beginning. For me, it needed one scene at the beginning that like. Spent a bit longer before he got going. Yeah. It didn't make him likable or endear him to me, but it did make him interesting when he chose to behead the Green Knight because I felt like he's quite young and I thought that was an interesting way to really make the main character seem like um, arrogant and proud and naive in one go because... I don't know about you, but when I was watching that happen, I was like, no, dude, you're fucking up. Like, he told you he's going to do... You don't need to do anything. He just asked you to land one blow. You could have just, like, nicked his arm or something. But he wants to impress people. You need the glory, though. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And, And... Right, but I suppose what's the... Like, the the Green Knight is kneeling in front of him. What's the glory? Like, you you didn't beat him in a fight. He offered his head to you. And you killed him. Like, it was almost like killing a prisoner, in a way. Uh, so, I thought... I think that... I mean... I thought it was interesting in the way that it didn't make me... Um, it didn't... Uh, it was It was tragic, I guess. I was watching this young man do something stupid, um, mm. even though kind of his heart was in the right place. I think that in the original story, the whole point is that it's beheadings. Like, it's it's this... It's this... Some sort of, like, motif or common common game that was done and played in these like old knights tale where the whole point is the beheading like he says like land a blow but it's like cut my head off bro 
Right. Okay. Well, I guess for me that wasn't clear, um, and so it seems yeah, right. like and he so could have just, done anything. Yeah, that's another thing to me is that like he's clearly having a bit of poetic license with this. Maybe not clearly. I, I looked it up. He's having a bit of poetic license with this classic tale. He's not telling it faithfully anyway. Yeah. I, I I really feel like it wasn't very clear what was happening with that Green Knight thing anyway. Like. He's like, come cut my head off and I'll cut your head off a year from now. My first point question was like, why? No. Like, <laughs> there, um, are, there are much better ways of getting this glory without having to give yourself a death sentence. Like, no. Like, what, why would you even agree to that? And that comes back to my thing before where it's like, if we'd had a bit more knowledge of who Dev Patel was as a character, we would have known going into that, like, oh, no, he has all this justification and all this reason why he wants to prove himself. Right. I think, um, and we should we should move on to like um, the yeah, what right. you think of the casting and Let's stuff. Let's do that then. But, um, but I thought it was interesting um, be- because w- I don't want to get into the spoilers of it, but um, the reason why the Green Knight shows up is kind of explained at the time, but kind of becomes more clear later. But it has to do with Gawain's mother, who in this story is Morgan Le Fay, but in the original text is not um it's, it's right that, that separate, thing so. also wasn't explained very clearly it's oh, just uh, intercuts yeah, okay. between yeah. his mum and the knight and his mum and the knight and that's not that wasn't very clear to me i only understood uh that what, what the mum was doing in the relationship he had with the green knight later on oh okay that's it I, yeah when for I me it, it connected it enough that i thought like i'm not <laughs> sure i'm not sure why she's doing it but it's clear that morgan Le Fay is orchestrating right. this green knight showing up um, and you having listened to an interview, not, yeah. well, having listened to an interview with David Lowry, one of the reasons why I thought maybe she was doing it was was the reason why. Um, but you sort of it, the motives remain very ambiguous for the rest of most of the rest of the film. So, My problem yeah. with this whole film is that the motives of all the characters remain ambiguous because he wants to yeah. give this. I don't know. It feels like he's going for this cool vibe. Yeah. <laughs> and the actual integrity of the story and the characters suffers as a result of that. Sure, we could. I feel like we're talking about. You mentioned casting. Yeah, what do you? One reckon? thing that I really liked. So this is something. That, something that we haven't really mentioned is this film has a very unusual, almost psychedelic, kind of uh, whacked out vibe to it. A lot mm. of the time, where he's clearly lost his mind and he's gone crazy a bit. And something that helped. Oh, that's interesting. That's not what that, I interpreted it as. But yeah, sure. Well, I mean, like, there's that bit where he takes that mushroom. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, a lot happens in this and film. Then, and he sees the giants and that fox that is, like, following him. And uh, maybe not lost his mind, but there's a bit of an unusual kind of uh, thing to it. Yeah. Uh, it's surreal. Uh, yeah. Where he's going through some sort of hallucinatory... Sur- sorry, surreal was the word that I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I did like was that his girlfriend back home and the lady he meets in the castle where Joel Edgerton is is played by both played by Alicia Vikander. Yeah, they made her look so. Where it fucks different. with your head. Yeah, it what? They made did her they, look, they look so different. different. Yeah, it fucks with, I, I thought they were two different. Fucks people. with your head a bit. Yeah, yeah, and so like it, it makes you feel like um, just the fact that casting it as the same person means that. It adds this extra layer of meaning to the characters where, like, that lady in the castle for him is just a projection and a reminder of the guilt that he feels for abandoning his his girl back home. Mm. And, like, she doesn't matter. She's just a reminder of his girlfriend. And I, I don't know. I just, I just like, like, it added this, like, emotional weight to her and the way that he was feeling just by ca- doing that same cast. Yeah, yeah. It, like, helps you. It makes you feel like you're watching the whole film a bit more through his eyes. Right. Right, and yeah, a lot of it is 
um, a lot of it is kind of his interpretation of events and his sort of subjective experience that it, it does visually or through casting yeah. decisions, which I think is really interesting. There's another thing that happens later with the Green Knight that um, I think ties into that a little bit as well. Um, but that's sort of a spoiler. So, oh, not really. It's the, you, yeah. We see the Green Knight again and um, its features shift very subtly and um, because it's so such heavy, like such a heavy mask and face, it's so like wooden. And if, you have to Google a picture of the Green Knight to understand if you don't know what we're talking about. But it's very he almost he looks, looks like one like of the ants from Lord of the Rings. That's right. Yeah, great, great way to describe it. And so because it doesn't really look like a person, but at the same time it looks a lot like a person, they shift the features around so that um, they're s- making making it look more similar to a bunch of different characters in the movie, including like... I didn't even notice that. Yeah, did, I, did I miss that bit? Yeah, Was I on my phone for that it's bit? It's very <laughs> subtle, but if you look, apparently, uh, and I listened to an interview, because I could see that something was going on with the face, but it was so subtle, I didn't know what it was, but it's shifting through like Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton's in there, it goes Arthur through the king, it goes through Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, it goes through oh, nearly wow. every I didn't character, even including Dev Patel himself, before it kind of lands back on Ralph Innocent's face. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I think this film has like a lot of depth. Um, if you, It's not a film that I think... Yeah, there, de- there definitely is a lot in it. There's actually a, a, YouTube, a video essay by a YouTuber like, that dropped like yesterday right. uh, that goes a lot into like time and all that sort of... Uh, legacy and all those all those themes that I got a lot out of, but I didn't get it in the movie. Mm. You're right; it is very deep. And yeah. There's a lot in there if you look for it. I think the casting, just to tie a bow on casting, I think it's really every character feels very well cast. Um, with a special yeah. little shout out to Barry Keegan um, as the scavenger, who as soon as he cropped up, oh, he's the evil fucking Irish guy from yeah. Uh, uh, yep. uh, 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 yep. uh, killing of a sacred deer. Well done. Um, yes, he is uh, the second. So number one, when you first see him, he's tiny in the frame, and I was like, I, I, I like, kind of stared at my TV, and I was yeah. like, is that fucking Barry Keegan? And <laughs> and like three minutes later, you see his face close up, and it was like, "How did you pick it from the walk?" And I was like, "I don't know." He just, I just know this motherfucker's physicality. Um, and yeah. yeah, the second he shows he plays up, an evil fucking gremlin in every yeah, single exactly. movie he's in. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's really I interesting. T- I texted you when I was watching it, <laughs> yeah. this dude's face, and I was like, "This isn't a spoiler because it's only I mean." I suppose it is, but it's five minutes in the movie. Um, I texted a few photo of his face, and I was like, "This motherfucker's gonna fuck Dev over. He's evil. I don't care what you tell yeah, me." And yeah, yeah. Like, no, 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 I don't know. Five minutes later, Dev Patel's like strung up from a tree, hanging by his legs yeah. or whatever, and Barry King is like, "Oh!" Yeah. I was like, "No, he's nice." Just to to, to stop the yeah. spoiler because I just didn't want to keep say it. Going, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was, well, I had the same thing. As soon as he showed up, I was like, "Oh, you're fucked, mate." Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, the I think that just speed uh, typecast is an absolute psycho. Oh yeah, and has the face for it too. Sorry, mate. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the bit that happens there, where after he gets trussed up by those people, where it does the slow three hundred and sixty degree turn and then turn back. If you've seen it, you know what we're talking about. If not, well, I'm not going to describe it. But it's basically a way that David Lowry uses of showing you. <laughs> you just did, bro. Okay, so yeah, when it spins around, it does a full 360, and when it lands back on Dev, he's a he's a decaying skeleton, and then it 
goes back the other way and brings us back to present moment. And I think that's really indicative of um, some of the most powerful moments on screen that David Lowry has that he creates with, um, you know, it's he doesn't use a cut. He physically moves the camera without uh, interrupting the experience, but manages to transport you through time and space within the film. And I don't think I see many yeah. other filmmakers ever even trying to do something that bold. Um, and whether or not it's... It, it's yeah. very ambiguous about whether or not it's showing you like a fear and anxiety that Dev Patel has because of the way he reacts when the camera lands back on him. Are we in his head seeing what he's imagining? Or is it literally showing alternate timelines where different choices were made? It's kind of ambiguous, but he's playing with the medium of film in a way that is very bold and really pays off, in my opinion. I really love moments like that. There's a few moments in Ghost Story that that do that too. And uh, I think it's really yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I really love that. That's probably my I favorite agree. moment in the film. I agree. I mean, that 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 was my favorite bit of the film as well. Not that specific scene, but just the visual the visual aspects of this film. I think were really strong, and I think they were really creative. Yeah, a lot of the. I mean, I didn't notice camera work as much because I don't have much of a head for that. But I mean, I feel like there's lots of lots of motifs and sort of aesthetic type moments that worked really well like the scene with the giants i thought was really interesting very and cool, a really yeah. a really playful unusual creative uh, uh aspect to the film that isn't just like telling this telling this story honestly and straight adding a bit of unusual stuff i thought that the the colors were really great i i mean i enjoyed i enjoyed a lot of this film fish really i think it's my favorite part of it yeah i think it's probably the strongest element um, there's lots of different, yeah. uh, he, so he's clearly got these sources of inspiration, but he, um, he, which I haven't really seen, but he referenced these eighties, uh, high fantasy films like Willow and Excalibur that, um, heavily influenced the visuals of this film. And uh, to the extent where he used a lot of um, matte paintings, which if you're not familiar with the term, that was cool. They used in Star Wars, yeah, where where like it's when uh, on a low budget you needed to um, create like these huge sweeping environments without building them or finding a place to film them. So you would literally paint uh, on like a piece of glass or on canvas um, your landscapes and. Um, and then you would film and basically rudimentary green screen your people, your performance mm. in front of these huge paintings. And they have a very distinctive feel because they're often very surreal or they allow for um, they allow for environments that are just like very clearly not real, but are still beautifully detailed. Yeah. And he says he said it kind of gives these films a particular feeling. Um, that's very distinctive, yeah. and I think he really manages that well, in this too. I think so. That that map painting thing is one of my favorite, most interesting parts of filmmaking in general. And I wish I'd known that going in. Uh, I'll be straight that we watched this on a dodgy download, so yeah, uh, <laughs> we didn't get the, the resolution wasn't as great. I would almost want to go back and watch this on like a proper four K Blu Ray or whatever. Yeah, to it, properly it suffers get from the visuals really badly. Yeah, because I really wanted to properly get the visuals. Uh, and take them in, especially now that I know that a whole bunch of those matte, matte paintings were used. Uh, often the way they would do that, I think it's really interesting, they would paint on glass and have the glass right in front of the camera. Yeah. And so if you wanted like a background, the background on the top part of the glass would be painted and then the bottom part of the glass would be clear glass. So the camera is shooting 
through, through the glass. Through a pane of glass, yeah. To, to the characters that are in the foreground, and the painting looks like it's in the background as part of like a forced perspective type thing. That'd yeah. Like a double exposure. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's really interesting. I love that shit. It reminded me a lot, even though it's nothing really... Um, there's a there's a lot of difference between these two things, but it reminded me a lot of um, the Dark Crystal, you know, that Jim Henson. Yeah, okay. Um, I've never seen puppets it. Film. It's visually very extremely striking. Again, it has one of the most distinctive visual styles that I've ever seen, and and sort of again that Did you say type Tim of Jim Henson. Jim Henson um, <laughs> has one of those um, really. They use a lot of like practical sets, and when they can't use practical sets, there's matte paintings and stuff. So it has that. Yeah, and yeah. the original Dark Crystal was from like '82 or something, and and they remade it um, or re rebooted it recently last year i think for netflix um but yeah very yeah. similar and it gives these films kind of a wonderful visual language i think that's that i really enjoyed um yeah yeah so, i think the visuals are great is there anything else that we were going to touch on uh, i don't think so other than yeah i think it's if you're going to watch it for anything you can watch it for the for the visuals it's a two-hour film um, in a lot of ways, I think, it, and it's not just it. Do, it's not just that it looks beautiful. Like the way that the characters interact with the environments is fantastic. Um, yeah, and I think it and does. And everyone's good in it. Yeah, I think it, it's really. I worth, feel like I'm being a bit savage on it. Yeah, just I mean, because I was looking forward to it. I think I totally understand why you were lukewarm on it. And I also think that that's going to be a problem for a fair few people that watch the film. It doesn't have particularly direct characterization or character motivations. Um, and I think really you're watching it for like, um, you know, in the same way that like these uh, old texts and these Arthurian tales didn't flesh out their characters very much and you had to read their characters almost entirely from what they do. Like their morality was defined almost entirely by their actions and their motivation was defined entirely by their actions. Along his journey, Gawain faces many obstacles, strangers and foes, forcing him to prove his honor, his courage, his chivalry and his loyalty. In this tale lies a moral lesson that echoes through time to make honor our guiding light through the darkest of our journeys. Chivalry isn't dead. It's very templated. And there's a lot of subtlety that you can find when you scratch the surface, but... Um, things like Morgan Le Fay's yeah. character, you know, on the surface, like, she's just a manipulative witch, but why is she doing what she's doing to Dev Patel's character? You can then project a lot of meaning of like, well, is she doing it as, uh, it's not really a spoiler because the question is not really answered, but is she doing it because she knows that he's like a layabout lazy shit and she wants to like push her son out of the nest and give him something to do? Yeah. Or is it that she is that kind of like um, evil manipulator and wants to torture her son in a bunch of different ways or, or, or whatever. Like, it's my, kind yeah, of ambiguous, right? My problem with this film is that I think that David Lowry knows the answer and I think he has told us... Ex I think he thinks he's told us explicitly right, but what it is. Right, but you feel like he has And he yeah. has a very clear vision, but it's not very clearly communicated. And I, I think that this film is, like I said, aesthetically brilliant, but I think that it suffers the storytelling and the character motivations... And the way that those are all communicated suffer 
through David Lowry's desire to have this very unusual aesthetic and a specific like artistic vision I think that the the, the the tone that he's gone for and the aesthetic that he's gone for, he nails, but there hasn't been as much thought put in or it's not to my taste as to uh, if how, how to very clearly communicate what's going on in, in, a, in a way that makes the story compelling. Right. For me. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I mean, guess... Ever, a lot of people online seem to love this, so I know, I know that I've missed something, or maybe maybe this is one of those films that is a bit more of a thought piece and I wasn't really in the mood to be watching that. I think that if people want to watch this, I would watch like a, vid- a couple video essays and maybe read up about this Green Knight story first mm. and then watch this. There's, I just want to talk you a about bit more background. this one other element that I think really sealed the deal for me, um, which is... Yeah, yeah, shoot. Uh, if it, this is a spoiler. So, spoiler warning. Great. Spoiler warning, spoiler warning. Okay. So we'll give you a when, time to skip this. It'll be like yeah, a minute or two. I, it's a, well, I'm only going to talk about it for a brief moment, but... Um, but right. when the he arrives at the Green Knight and he hesitates a bunch of times and he's got this girdle, I think, that is um, meant to basically protect him, and protect him, him from all yeah. harm. And yeah. he escapes and he um, it now does a thing that happens also in Ghost Story where we all of a sudden start to rapidly cover huge amounts of time in this character's life. Um, and you and see we his whole see, life, like he becomes right. king, and yeah, and, and you see him deal with the um, emotional implications of having made this cowardly choice right at a pivotal point in his life, and so his the rest of his life yeah. is defined almost in completely in the shadow of this singular choice that he made, where um, he number one he cheated in a game. And also, he didn't take responsibility for his own actions. I really like the way it sort of distilled a lot of his moral framework down to this one particular moment of leaving the girdle on and um, or yeah. running away. Yeah, well, just the idea that like he went to the he went through the whole experience specifically to get glory and to get like a make valor yeah. and like honor, and it was and completely then he hollow. ruined it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And so then you know. I really like that we get that. And I was like, okay, here's, this is very David Lowry. This feels very familiar to me. And then it sort of like rips you back into that moment where um, he's kneeling in front of the green knight. And he's like, actually, hang on a second. And he takes it off. And it's kind of like, he's, I feel like for him, it's a real coming of age moment where he's finally reached a point where he has enough maturity or experience, or even just makes the right choice in the right moment to, um, accept responsibility and be vulnerable and, uh, you know, kind of even if you're looking at it from like a that death and legacy and whatever perspective, he accepts that he is mortal and that if he needs to go at this particular moment, then so be it. And, um, and just the way that it fearlessly kind of like throws you through the entire rest of this character's life and then rips you back whether or not, again, that was a, you know, in his own head or whatever. Um, I think, you know, like, I don't know. For me, it just puts it that cut above in terms of the narrative that even though I agree with a lot of the criticisms around the characterization, I think that the structure of this story is um, very, very good and and very interesting. And it plays with it a lot. So I enjoyed it. I I mean, not everyone's going to get that much out of that, 
but I enjoyed it a lot mm. for for those few moments and the surreal moments, like with the young woman ghost in the house and in the um, yeah where he has to dive and grab a skull. Um, I enjoyed oh, it I a lot. That was sick. That was my favorite bit in the whole movie. That yeah, right. So I enjoyed it for a yeah. lot of those moments, and I think um, yeah, while I wasn't, it wasn't great that I wasn't always fully aware of like where the story was going. Um, I definitely mm. enjoyed what I was watching on screen enough to to kind of recommend this one. Um, so spoilers I over. Think so, man, I'm gonna link you. Yeah, yeah. Link me to this video cool. essay. I think I, I'm gonna link you to it because he he talks about ghost story and about this sweaty guy at a party that talks about how everyone's kids are gonna die, and he he links yeah. the two and talks about how they're thematically. So I think you'd get a lot out of it. You'll love it. I'll link yeah, you to it. yeah. And if we remember, we never did this, but if we remember, I'll put it in the description because this guy talks about a lot of the themes in the Green Knight and a ghost story that we've been talking about in a way that I think is quite compelling. Yeah, and it makes me excited to see what else David Lowry's going to go forward and work on because this is only his second feature, I think. And um, I think he's got a really strong vision as a director and a really strong um, theme and voice that he wants to push. And I'm really keen to see how he approaches future projects, kind of exploring that idea of legacy. I think it's a really strong kind of platform to build a lot of different stories on so i'm keen to see what else he does i think if he wrote this then i'd like to see maybe him direct something that someone else has written yeah sure yeah i mean he wrote ghost story as well and that is much 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 tighter and much simpler in its I've heard it's also a lot... I've heard it's a lot, like, more direct. Yeah, yeah. It still gets... Maybe maybe to its detriment, but, like, I've... Yeah. But but I think you'll enjoy it. I think you would enjoy Ghost Story more than than this. I've got a a suggestion for Better Than Worse, then. I think... Oh, yeah, I've got a few as well. Okay, I think this is on par with... I don't necessarily have a Better Than. Like, I I think this is on par with... uh, the King, that um, David Michaud film that we watched, I think it is. Okay. I think it's not as compelling because Dev Patel's character doesn't have the same um, drive and character motivations as uh, Timothy Chalamet's character yeah. in The King. But I think this blows it out of yeah. the water visually. I think it um, creatively, yeah, yeah. Even though The King was very, very good in terms of like the choices that it made around that, things like the muddy battle scene where it kind of, you know pulls up and there's lots of yeah there's sea of people so i think not to shit on the king but i think this has a more unique visual style um but i think mandy is a film that does that kind of like heavily influenced by those 80s fantasy novels and fantasy aesthetic films um very strong use of color and and also has a very unique style right but yeah okay is much much simpler in its um, in its character and in its story, to the point where I think it's easier to get on board and enjoy it. So I don't think this worked as well as um, Mandy. Uh, still one of my favorite movies ever, Mandy. But um, yeah, but yeah, I think it's I think it's got a lot going for it. So I don't necessarily I don't know. Do you have something that this is that this definitely does a way better better job than? No, I mean I, I was. <sighs> I often have trouble thinking of the better thans because that's like, what shit movies have I seen? <laughs> yeah, um, sure. <laughs> but um, I, I think that I definitely enjoyed... Um, I suppose, what about Nomadland? Is Nomadland a film about... I can't, 
It's interesting. I don't know. Nomad Nomadland is a slow a slow film about legacy and time and being remembered that I didn't really like very much. Sure. Uh, so I think that this is better than Nomadland, worse than First Cow, worse than The King. Okay, interesting. All right, so we're somewhere in the middle of the pack. Nomadland's a bit of an King. odd pick. Yeah, because sure. To be honest, I just went to my letterbox and sorted by lowest rating first. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but in terms of like slow, arty movies with a visual aesthetic that are trying to say something about uh, about time and about people's people's relationships with uh, with time, mm. and I suppose the bit about, a bit a bit about that sort of thing in Nomadland. Um, uh, okay, I've just decided I would put this above. I think I enjoyed this a lot more than that. I would put this above Ghost Story. Um, for me, I think this beats out Ghost right. Story. I think that's not going to be the case for a lot of people. But um, for me, yeah, right. for me, it is. So yeah, okay, there you go. We, you got a yeah. smattering of comparative films, or if not, then a big list of uh, a big list of stuff that you can go and watch. So yeah, yeah for me I personally, think, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. For me personally, I enjoyed The King a lot more. I enjoyed The mm. King a lot more because it, yeah, it had a, li- a little bit more of a straight. It, the ca- the characters were a lot more clearly defined for me, which I really enjoyed, and it meant that I could really go along for the ride with this guy, uh, and. Uh, I, I still enjoyed the unique. It's, it was still unique enough in terms of its visuals and its action and everything, and the way it, that battle scene specifically is a good example of why I enjoyed the king. Right, right. So I think I think that's all. I think that's, I think that's what we got. I mean, we didn't talk about the music at all, but we're going to find out if there was good music because it will be it'll be playing under whatever the fuck we've been saying. <laughs> yeah, for yep. the last the last few seconds. I don't really remember it, um, but I think. I th- maybe I remember thinking about it and thinking that it was good at the time. <laughs> anyway, regardless, cool. I uh, think well. the, the the score fit really, really well with with what was going on on screen. Yeah. So good job to the composer. Let us know what you thought. If you tracked this movie down as well, and this was interesting for you, I think this is. I think this was a good chat. Let, yeah, let us know I what was you just looking for Knight. where you can find it. It's. I think it's on Prime Video in the United States. So I believe if you yeah. use a VPN, you should be able to watch it on Amazon. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. It, this so is a, unfortunately a bit of a difficult one to, bit of a difficult yeah. one to It'll watch. It'll be out eventually, then. Yeah. Uh, that's all we got for the week, then. We, we've we've done a good job of keeping this pretty tight again. So there you go. Uh, stick with us for next time. We haven't decided what we'll do yet, but the movie we're going to do next time will be in the description of this week's episode. So check for that. Uh, email us beefstationpod at gmail.com uh, we still have a Facebook page. I don't think we use it very much, but if you felt a specific drive to post there and get a bit of discussion going, feel free to. Uh, that's probably all we got, right? Yeah, sure. Great. See you later. Have a good week. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Bye. Bye-bye.